If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to return with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 7 this morning. Mark chapter 7 in your Bibles. We've been making our way through this Gospel. We call uh, this is my story. And really we crossed out some letters to make it say his story. Because ultimately it is all about Jesus. Mark chapter 7 in your Bibles. Let me ask you as you turn there. What image comes into your mind when you think of something being squeaky clean? You ever think about that? I know that seems like a weird question to start a Sunday morning, but for me, my mind goes back to Saturday afternoons, or Saturday mornings, depending, because that would be often when my dad would get us boys together and we would clean the cars. And if things were squeaky clean, we didn't just wash the cars, we would also wax the cars and buff the cars uh, with some really nice wax. You know, I don't know if we were quite karate kids in training, but we did wax the cars. And, and that was, to Dad, squeaky clean. I bring that to your attention because as we turn to Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in today's gospel reading desire to appear squeaky clean before God. And and they do this through means of outward actions and outward demonstrations and things they will not touch and all of those things. And earlier in Mark chapter 7, these same religious leaders criticized Jesus and his disciples for not keeping, as they called it, all the traditions of the elders. And Jesus, quoting from Isaiah, said in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They have tried to appear to be squeaky clean on the outside, but really on the inside there was a problem. They were rotting. Now beginning in Mark chapter 7, verse 14, Jesus more directly, we could say, addresses their questions about ritual purification but not in the way that they were expecting. Here's what he says beginning in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. It says, And when he had called all the people unto them, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand, there is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when they, he was entered into the house, and the people, his disciples, asked him concerning the parable, he said unto them, Are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entering into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entered not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all the meats? And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. These are powerful and provocative words meant to ask, what's the matter? What's the real issue that our Lord issues in his farewell sermon of his Galilean ministry. And we see yet again in the powerful preaching of Jesus that Jesus, as he preaches, fears no man. He tickles no ear. He withholds no truth from his audience. In these verses, Jesus addresses the true state of the human heart. 
and it is not a good report he gives. It is not a clean bill of health that Jesus gives as a diagnosis of the human heart condition. And we see in these words our Lord almost opening up the chest cavity of man and doing a diagnostic test of the heart, of the spiritual inner man. And he gives the true diagnosis of what it is on the inside, what it is on the inside of every one of us. Man's greatest problem, Jesus says, is not around him. His problem, in the ultimate sense, is not his environment. His problem is not his neighbor. His problem is not his upbringing. His problem is not the way that he was wired emotionally. Nothing on the outside is his problem. Man's greatest problem is on the inside of his heart. Simply put, you could say like the old preachers, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. The heart here refers to all of man's inward faculties. It is all of who you really are. Your physical body on the outside is just the outward packaging of the heart. The real you, the real what is the inside of you, the heart. That's your heart. And we make a dichotomy in our culture, especially our church culture, between a head and a heart. We say he has truth in his head, but it's not in his heart. And this is not a dichotomy that the Bible uses. The heart represents the totality of who we are and what we are on the inside. That's what Jesus is using here. The heart is you fully. And the totality of man's inner self, everything, both his head and his heart, if you're going to use that faulty dichotomy, is contaminated by sin. You are completely a sinner. The problem of man is a problem of sin. He has a sin problem, and it's a problem on the inside that you cannot render squeaky clean by whatever means of buffing and waxing you try. From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, you are a sinner. Romans 3 verse 23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is not a good report to introduce the sermon with this morning, is it? In fact, quite opposite. It causes the grace of God in our lives really to become so precious, I believe. It causes us to realize that the gift of grace to clean up our messy lives, the pollution of sin, is oh so wonderful. Romans 5, 8 says, God commends his love. He proved his love towards us. In that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Yet we must remember that we all have a major heart problem. In this section, we see Jesus speaking to the religious elite of this day, and he is saying, unwashed hands are not the problem, although they think it was. So why are they eating this without washing their hands? And eating mixed foods is not the real problem. The problem is the human heart. And as we look at these verses this morning, beginning in verse 14, I want us to ask the real question that at first blush seems real simple, but that after careful meditation, it becomes all the more poignant. And the question is on the screen. What's the matter? You can say, what's the problem? And thankful we have the Word of God to help us properly answer that question, and all questions. Jesus makes it very clear, number one, you can't explain away your problem. I want you to note first in verse 14 the proper, proper explanation. It's all centers around the issue that the religious leaders raised beginning in verse 5 of this same chapter. 
The Pharisees and scribes ask Christ this question in order to attempt to undermine his credibility with the common man. And the question is designed to be a hand grenade that they pull the pin on and try to detonate at the feet of Jesus. And here's what they say. Why not walk thy disciples according to the tradition of elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And the heart of the question is this. The scribes and Pharisees have invented rules for being spiritual. And these rules are based upon myth and superstition and have nothing to do with the reality of the Word of God. And the scribes and Pharisees have surmised that if you rubbed shoulders with sinners in the marketplace, just walking around buying your groceries, you needed to wash yourself ceremonially if you are even going to eat the food that you just purchased. And so in Mark 6, 7, verses 6 through 13, Jesus addresses the Pharisees first, and he says, you guys are invalidating the word of God by your man-made rules. Your tradition of the elders violates the commandments of God. As we mentioned last week, you have built fences so high around the word of God that you can only see the fences, you no longer see the word. And so in Mark 6, 7, verses 6 through 13, Jesus deals with the issue of authority and says that the entire teaching of their authority, of the so-called authority of the elders of men, was built upon wood, hay, and stubble. But beginning in verse 14, Jesus will explain the real issue. And he will say to the Pharisees and scribes, Jesus merely indicts them as violating the word of God. That's what you do. But now, Jesus gives a careful explanation as to why they have invalidated the word of God. And beginning in verse 15, Jesus begins to dismantle all that the scribes and Pharisees had been teaching. And it's no wonder then that you read later that, this, that, that, that the Jesus' own disciples have to come back to him and ask, explain yourself. Because they've grown up in a culture that now Jesus, in just a few verses, will tear down the religious system as wrong as it was. They had totally and completely bypassed the state of the human heart. That was their problem. Stephen Lawson says, the more religious someone is without regeneration, the more emphasis will be on the facade of the outside. That was their problem. All religious tempts, all religious religion temptations, rather, tempt man towards pride. And prideful people find it difficult to see themselves as the source of their problems. But Jesus wants them, and he wants you to know now, you are the problem. You can't explain away the problem. You are the problem. And so he says in verse 15, There is nothing from without a man that entering in can defile him. This is a comprehensive statement. No food entering a man's body can make him morally unclean. No person can be defiled by what he eats, even if his hands have not been ceremonially cleansed according to the washing of these rules. Food is nothing more than food. And so he says in verse 15, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. And by this, Jesus is turning upside down everything the Pharisees have taught. 
By this statement, Jesus categorically denies the tradition of elders and he says the opposite. It is not what is on the inside of you that goes into you that defiles you. It is what comes out of you that is defiling you. And by this statement, he is saying the problem is the inward corruption that is already in every human heart. The Bible has a lot to say about pollution, a lot. But it is much deeper, older, and deadly pollution. It's a pollution that cannot be seen, smelled, tasted, or measured. Yet it's a pollution that is far more lethal than any other pollution. It's called sin, and it saturates all of us, all of you. And so while our world is hoping to clean up the environment externally, all of us are dying eternally, from an internal defilement. That's our problem. All of us have an internal, sin-corrupted, sin-saturated heart, and no amount of external change will fix our problem. And you can't explain it away. Well, I wouldn't have done it if... Fill in the blank. Well, I wouldn't have acted that way if my parents hadn't, and then you start to go down this rabbit trail. Or I wouldn't have thought this way if I had just been brought up in a different, and all of a sudden you begin to explain away your problems, and Jesus says, the problems aren't outside of you. The problem's inside of you. James would ask the question later in his, in his epistle, and he'd say, where do all these wars and fightings and travailings come from? Do they not come from the inside of man? Jeremiah the prophet would say, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In other words, I can't even begin to describe just the amount of atrocities mankind can come up with. They keep coming up with more ways to do bad things. Where is all that coming from? The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Your heart needs heaven's help. Hear me, everyone, man, woman, child, own the fact today that you are your own worst enemy. You will not come to a saving knowledge of God until you first come to a realization that you are the problem. Number two, you can't work away your problems. Problem isn't outside of you. Again, you are the problem. But the Pharisees believed somehow that they could wash themselves away from the issue. And the Pharisees believed really that improperly rinsed hands, defiled food, and therefore defiled the eater. And the defilement, as they saw it, worked its way from the outside to the inside. In other words, like if you ate the wrong way or did the wrong thing or prayed the wrong prayer, all of a sudden God would be mad at you. And Jesus now says the very opposite. It's not what goes into you that defiles you, but what comes out of you. Verse 15, there's nothing from without a man that entering him can defile him. Now let's examine that phrase carefully. He says, entering him. Nothing entering him. The Gospel of Matthew in the parallel passage says food specifically. Nothing that he eats. So clearly the reference is to food. And Mark's phrase says, if it goes into him, is singular, referencing one thing. Food traveling into a person. And he's mainly here talking about eating. And the preposition into is used twice with emphasis in Mark's gospel. 
Food you eat does not defile you. Food does not make you dirty before God, is Jesus' point. The stuff outside of you does not condemn you before God. And Jesus makes sure you get what he is saying when he says, there is nothing from without a man that entering him can defile him. And the verb can is very important. The, the verb that he uses here, that the passive voice says nothing done to you, forced upon you, which is outside of you, can defile you. The present tense lets us know that this truth is ongoing. There is continually nothing outside of you that can defile you. And the indicative mood tells us that this is a fact. It's a standing truth for all time. Nothing outside of you can defile you. He is emphasizing it, we could say, with emphasis to let them know this. No food, nothing outside of you can defile you. Now, defile originally described that which was of little value. In the New Testament, to be defiled means to be unclean, polluted, or made profane. It literally refers to something made common. And this item or this person would be set apart to God alone, but he is saying if you eat this, you become common, you become defiled. External issues, though, Jesus says, don't determine eternal status. Defilement is a moral or spiritual issue, not a physical issue. That's Jesus' point. Food cannot do this to you. Then what does defile you? He says it. The things which come out of him, those are the things that defile him. The word but is the strongest singular contrast word in the New Testament. In total contrast to the outside, not dirtying and spiritualing you, in total contrast to those things on the outside that can't defile you, but the things inside of you, those things. And the things, he says. Do you see the word things? It's plural. So he used singular, food, just, just food as an example. That can't defile you, but things is plural. This means this is serious. Whereas the one external thing, food, does not defile you, here are many internal things innumerable to count from within you that do defile you. The religious leaders had turned sinful corruption into an external issue, but Jesus reminds them it's an internal reality. And friends, this truth should not have surprised them. The leaders and Jews themselves already knew of God's priority for the heart. If they had read the Old Testament, they would have heard stories about God selecting men based not on man's outward stuff, but on internal realities that only God can see. For example, in King David's case, you remember Samuel comes and he's going to look and he sees all of these boys that are there and wow, I mean, any one of them, they're really good. And he, and he goes and he tries to see and he in his flesh is saying, surely one of these strapping young men, that will be the next king of Israel. And God makes it very clear, none of them are the ones that are going to be selected. And finally he says, is there another one? And they say, yeah, there's this guy, David, he, you know, he's the other the little boy and he's out there watching sheep. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So when Jesus is now coming to these scribes and Pharisees, the guys that studied the law and the, and the prophets and these Old Testament books, this should not have shocked them. This has been consistent with the heart of God, For generations, why then does it shock them? 
I mean, even through circumcision was highly remarked, marked as a reverence of God's promise. Even then God said to the nation, and now Israel, what does the Lord require of thee but to fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of his statutes, which I command thee. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be not more stiff-necked. This is consistently the case. Why are they so confused by this? Why is this a surprise? Even Joshua challenged the nation later as they entered into Israel. Now therefore, put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. You might look at that and go, okay, then what is going on? Well, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that the Pharisees were extremely offended by what Jesus taught here. They were extremely offended. And the Pharisees were acting like the worst germaphobes known to mankind. They were the original writers of the You Can't Touch This song. That's who they were, right? And they were basically so caught up in thinking that I, I have to do to gain favor that they missed the whole point of what God had already said. And you say, how did they miss that? Let me ask you, how do so many miss that still today? The Greco-Syrian ruler Antioch Epiphanes, in his effort to root out the Jewish faith, tried to force the Jews to eat pork. And I give this to you because I want you to understand the context in which Jesus now gives this shocking description. And as a result of Antioch Epiphanes forcing the Jews to eat pork, many willingly, hundreds died as a result. In fact, one record that comes to us from antiquity tells us where a widow and her seven sons were forced to eat pork in Israel. They were Jews. And so they refused. And so the record tells us in history that the oldest son had his tongue cut out. His hands and feet were cut off and he was roasted alive because he wouldn't eat pig the next son had his skin and hair torn off his skull because he would not eat the pig. And then each son in succession was tortured and killed with their aged mother looking on and cheering them on because she said they were martyrs for their faith. They died rather than eat the meat they thought was unclean. Say, so why tell us that history? Because it's to that group of people that, was, that were so zealous for things on the outside they thought can contaminate them, that Jesus now says, nothing on the outside can defile you, only what's on the inside can defile you. Do you see how shocking this would have been to a Jewish listener? They would have known of these history stories. And it's in the face of that context Jesus makes this revolutionary statement. This is shocking. Things cannot be either unclean or clean spiritually. Only persons can be defiled. Only actions are sinful from a product on the inside. Uncleanness has nothing to do with what takes a man takes into his body, but everything to do with what comes out of his heart. And to get right with God, you have to have a right heart, 
And to get a right heart, only Christ can be your right help. This is so important to understand. If a man, Jesus says in verse 16, has ears to hear, let him hear. The manuscripts give evidence that verse 16 might not be in the original text by Mark, but it does reflect the heart of the context. It fits with the Lord's command to listen, to understand, to pay attention, because this was a crowd that was willing to die for their zealous beliefs to the contrary. Say, how is that even possible? Do men do that still today? Let me ask you, are there those that are zealously moving in a direction thinking by doing this they can gain entrance into eternity, but all of the things that they are doing have nothing to do with biblical salvation. Is that still happening today? All the time. And so Jesus says, you can't stay away from your problem, number three. You say, well, I've got a problem. Yeah, Jesus explains it. And if I have a problem, maybe I can work work it off. You know, maybe in the great scales of eternity, I can do more good than bad and outweigh that. And Jesus says, well, that won't work because the problem's inside you and you can't cut your heart out. And so maybe the conclusion can be that I'm just going to stay so far away from temptation that I won't have a problem. But Jesus says even there, you can't stay away from your problem. While the Pharisees were offended by what Jesus said, the disciples were confused. The disciples struggled to understand Jesus' point here. And the disciples were wondering, what are you trying to say? And and they come to him, it says. And and when he entered into a house, his disciples asked him, followed it up, what do you mean? And Jesus said, once free from the crowd, the disciples are in shock, Matthew actually tells us that it was mainly Peter who asked on behalf of the other disciples, which probably doesn't come as a surprise to many Bible students that Peter was the spokesperson here. And they wanted Jesus to explain what he meant by external food doesn't defile you. And I hope at this point you understand why this is such a big deal to the Jewish community. They thought, and they've been taught all of their lives one way. And now they ask, what do you mean only internal heart issues defile people? And people, Peter and the eleven, are questioning and asking Christ for answers, and the disciples viewed verse 15 as a parable. We see it there. That's how they call it. They view it as a puzzle, a dark saying, mystical. (laughs) You can't mean what you mean here. What's the meaning of this puzzle, is what they're saying. And Jesus responds with, Either surprise, really, are you that thick, you still can't get this? Or merely a question, you still don't get this? Either way, it's a mild rebuke. He says to them, are you still without understanding? You still don't get this? That his chosen pupils still are under the spell of external pharisaical theology is almost a discouragement at this point. You have been sitting at the feet of Jesus. You still don't understand? And the Lord is charging his men with intellectual dullness and spiritual stupidity. They failed to understand the obvious. This isn't a puzzle. This is crystal clear. And he says, you also are without understanding? Meaning, they should be able to get this. 
Now, what should be so obvious to them? What, what, what are they missing here that should be obvious? This is not a puzzle. This is not a mystery. What's, what are they missing? The answer is, food is not the issue. That's what they're missing. Look at the end of verse 18. Do you not perceive that whatever thing from without entering into man, it cannot defile him, but because it entered into his heart, but into his belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all the meats, food doesn't go into the heart. Food goes into the stomach, it's eliminated. Yes, junior hires, this is Jesus using a bathroom example, right? <laughs> and the disciples struggled to understand Jesus' point, just like many church attenders struggle. Many of us blame the problem as the outside. It's the liberals. It's the lack of education. It's the entertainment industry. It's sports idolatry. So let's fix society. Let's reinstall prayer in schools. Let's plaster the Ten Commandments on our courtrooms. And my point is, we tend to look at the outside as the problem. And Jesus is teaching us that the problem is you. <laughs> You are the problem. You can't so isolate yourself from the problem that you're away from yourself. You can't run away from the problem because you can't run away from you, is the point. I'm sure you've seen the Allstate Insurance Mayhem commercials, and the guy just causes chaos. That's you the next time you see that commercial. <laughs> you are mayhem. And you cannot run away from it. You are the problem. And so you say, well, what's the matter? The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. So if I can't work away from the problem, and I can't explain away the problem, and I can't run away from the problem, maybe I'll just bury my head in the sand and pretend there isn't a problem. And Jesus says, well, you can't hide away from your problem either. In case you, this were not clear enough, he says in verse 20, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. And I'm not sure you have an inner child, but I have it on good authority that you have this inner mayhem. You take a reality check, and you know Christ's teaching here is true from your own experience. Let me ask you, who has lied to you more than you have? Who has hurt you more than you have hurt yourself? Consider where you've taken yourself and what you've done to yourself. Jesus' words fit perfectly with your own experience. Again, some of you are pretty, pretty on the outside, but on the inside, you know. You are ugly on the inside. And the heart is the man's most real self. It's the things that you do in quiet that no one else knows about. It's the things that you think in private in your own head that no one else but you and God know about. It's ugly attitudes. It's ugly thoughts. It's ugly behavior. Nobody knows more about you than you do. Then the Lord names 12 examples of ugly sins that come from the heart, a baker's dozen of hellacious influences that reside in you, and he calls them evil thoughts. It's really the umbrella of all of these others. And the first six are plural, referring to wicked actions, and the second six are singular, referring to evil drives and words, all under the heading at the very beginning of this heading of evil thoughts. And all the rest of them are going to flow from evil thoughts. And he breaks down evil thoughts, and he says, here are what you are like. You are full of adulteries. 
This is illicit sexual relations by a married person, which Jesus or a married person, which Jesus said could occur even in the heart. Fornications, illicit sexual activities of various kinds, prompted by lust, including homosexuality, murders. He said, taking the life intentionally, which is connected to hate in the heart, according to First John and Jesus' own teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. Thefts, stealing, including shoplifting and pilfering, even procrastination, half-truths, thefts, covetousness, greediness, which makes one an adulterer, wickedness, evil acts that are done with malice, deceit, acting with guile and an intent to defraud, lewdness, unrestrained, concealed, immoral behavior closely related to lust, an evil eye, a, a Hebrew idiom for for stinginess, a miserly way of doing things. You're a Scrooge, basically. Blasphemy, slander, verbal abuse against God or man. Pride, arrogance, boasting, opinion of oneself, often with a disdain towards others. Foolishness, just a a lack of common sense with no moral or spiritual sensitivities. And such sins are prompted by evil thoughts. And all these evils, he says in verse 23, come from within and defile a man. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. The source from which these rivers of pollution proceed is the natural heart of man. Sin is not a splash of mud upon man's exterior. It is a filth generated within himself. No religion will save this stain from you. Frankly, no written prayer that you quote back to me this morning will fix this problem. Walking aisles won't magically transform you as you take a step. You need Jesus. And friends, this is a devastating picture, and it's meant to be that. It's hard to hear, and it's intended to be hard. Our problems are heart problems. The issue is not outside of yourself. The issue is inside of yourself. The issue is not everyone else. The issue is you. Our sin issues are not because of our spouses. Our sin issues are not because of our friends. Our sin issues are not because of our children. Our sin issues are not because of our coworkers. Our sin issues are not because of our employers. Our sin issues are not because of anyone or anything else. Our sin issues are inside of us. And the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. This is why we cannot run away from our issues and sinfulness because our sinfulness and evil will run right next to us. In fact, in many cases, it will drive the car. This is why our external solutions do not change our heart problem. It's like putting makeup on a rotting, rotting corpse that doesn't do anything to change the decay. The reason we continue to struggle with certain sins, even though we may change the external circumstances, is because it's internally part of us. Whitewashing the outside of our lives to look Christian is not the call of our Lord. Going to church and being a good person is not Jesus' intention here. External and physical actions will not change your real problem. You can't explain it away. You can't work it away. You can't stay away from it. You can't hide away from it. Now hear this truth. This is why getting in touch with your feelings, listening to your heart, being true to yourself, finding yourself is never going to give you answers and direction for your life. 
Rather, that kind of pursuit will bring you spiritual destruction because your heart is a problem. The heart is dark, it's depraved, the problem is in us, therefore the solution is not also in us. And the reason we are sinners is because we have hearts full of sin. And all of that sin that Jesus lists, in fact, all sins come from within us. So if we truly want our hearts to be in light and no longer polluted in sin, what do we do? And we end here this morning. Number one, your heart needs heaven's help to be forgiven of sin. After committing murder and adultery, King David prayed with repentance, Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be white whiter than snow. Number two, your heart needs heaven's help to battle sin. Even though forgiven, cleansed, and delivered from the penalty and power of sin, we still struggle with the presence of sin. Depend on Christ. Saturate your life in his word. Give yourself to prayer, to the supportive fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. Reckon yourself dead every day to sin and alive to Christ. And finally, your heart needs heaven's truth to live for God's glory. King Solomon said, He who trusts in his heart is a fool. Don't trust your own heart. Trust God's word. You just heard God's word, not some self-image pastoral pep talk, did you? In fact, if there was a self-image there, it didn't pep you up all that much. The world says, you are what you do. Jesus says, you do what you are. Your actions reflect your heart. Your words reflect your heart. Your decisions reflect your heart. Desire God because he first loved you and gave himself for you. Draw closer to him, get to know him. Only then as you treasure him, your heart will be transformed. You will be changed. You will be made alive. You can't fix your problem, but I know one who can. And he's the one who pointed to your problem.